The Evolution of Modesty, Part 1, Section 5, of The Studies in the Psychology of Sex, Volume 1, by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Evolution of Modesty, Part 1, Section 5. Until late in the 17th century, women in England, as well as France, suffered much in childbirth from the ignorance and superstition of incompetent midwives, owing to the prevailing conceptions of modesty, which rendered it impossible, as it is still, to some extent, in some semi-civilized lands, for male physicians to attend them. Dr. Willoughby, of Derby, tells how, in 1658, he had to creep into the chamber of a lying-in woman on his hands and knees, in order to examine her unperceived. In France, Clement was employed secretly to attend the mistresses of Louis Fourteenth in their confinements. To the first he was conducted blindfolded, while the king was concealed among the bed-curtains, and the face of the lady was enveloped in a network of lace. Even until the Revolution, the examination of women in France, in cases of rape or attempted outrage, was left to a jury of matrons. In old English manuals of midwifery, even in the early 19th century, we still find much insistence on the demands of modesty. Thus, Dr. John Burns of Glasgow, in his Principles of Midwifery, states that some women, from motives of false delicacy, are averse from examination until the pains become severe. He adds that, it is usual for the room to be darkened, and the bed curtains drawn close, during an examination. Many old pictures show the accoucheur groping in the dark, beneath the bedclothes, to perform operations on women in childbirth. In Iceland, Winkler stated in 1861, that he sometimes slept in the same room as a whole family. It is often the custom for ten or more persons to use the same room for living in and sleeping, young and old, master and servant, male and female, and from motives of economy, all the clothes, without exception, are removed. At Cork, says Finns Morrison, in 1617, I have seen with these eyes young maidens stark naked grinding corn with certain stones to make cakes thereof. In the more remote parts of Ireland, Morrison elsewhere says, where the English laws and manners are unknown, the very chief of the Irish, men as well as women, go naked in very winter time, only having their privy parts covered with a rag of linen, and their bodies with a loose mantle. This I speak of my own experience. He goes on to tell of a Bohemian baron, just come from the north of Ireland, who told me in great earnestness that he, coming to the house of O'Kane, a great lord among them, was met at the door with sixteen women, all naked, excepting their loose mantles, whereof eight or ten were very fair, and two seemed very nymphs, with which strange sight, his eyes being dazzled, they led him into the house, and then sitting down by the fire with crossed legs, like tailors, and so low as could not but offend chaste eyes, desired him to sit down with them. Soon after, O'Kane, the lord of the country, came in, all naked excepting a loose mantle and shoes, which he put off as soon as he came in, and entertaining the baron after his best manner in the Latin tongue, 
desired him to put off his apparel, which he thought to be a burthen to him, and to sit naked by the fire with this naked company. But the baron, for shame, durst not put off his apparel. Coriat, when traveling in Italy in the early part of the 17th century, found that in Lombardy, many of the women and children only wore smocks, or shirts, in the hot weather. At Venice and Padua, he found that wives, widows, and maids walked with naked breasts, many with backs also naked, almost to the middle. The fashion of décolleté garments, it may be remarked, only began in the 14th century. Previously, the women of Europe generally covered themselves up to the neck. In northern Italy, some years ago, a fire occurred at night in a house in which two girls were sleeping, naked, according to the custom. One threw herself out and was saved, the other returned for a garment and was burnt to death. The narrator of the incident, a man, expressed strong approval of the more modest girl's action. It may be added that the custom of sleeping naked is still preserved, also, according to Lippert and Strauss, in Jutland, in Iceland, in some parts of Norway, and sometimes even in Berlin. Lady Mary Wortley Montague writes in 1717 of the Turkish ladies at the baths at Sophia. The first sofas were covered with cushions and rich carpets, on which sat the ladies, and on the second their slaves behind them, but without any distinction of rank in their dress, all being in a state of nature, that is, in plain English, stark naked, without any beauty or defect concealed. Yet there was not the least wanton smile or immodest gesture among them. They walked and moved with the same majestic grace which Milton describes of our general mother. I am here convinced of the truth of a reflection I have often made, that if it was the fashion to go naked, the face would be hardly observed. At St. Petersburg, in 1774, Sir Nicholas Raxel observed, the promiscuous bathing of not less than two hundred persons, of both sexes, there are several of these public bagnios, he adds, in Petersburg, and everyone pays a few kopecks for admittance. There are, indeed, separate spaces for the men and women, but they seem quite regardless of this distinction, and sit or bathe in a state of absolute nudity among each other. It is still usual for women in the country parts of Russia to bathe naked in the streams. In 1790, Wedgwood wrote to Flaxman, the nude is so general in the work of the ancients that it will be very difficult to avoid the introduction of naked figures. On the other hand, it is absolutely necessary to do so, or to keep the pieces for our own use. For none, either male or female, of the present generation will take or apply them as furniture if the figures are naked. Mary Wollstonecraft quotes, for reprobation and not for approval, the following remarks. The lady who asked the question whether women may be instructed in the modern system of botany was accused of ridiculous prudery. Nevertheless, if she had proposed the question to me, I should certainly have answered, they cannot. She further quotes from an educational book, it would be needless to caution you against putting your hand, by chance, under your neckerchief, for a modest woman never did so. At the present time, a knowledge of the physiology of plants is not usually considered inconsistent with modesty, but a knowledge of animal physiology is still so considered by many. Dr. H. R. Hopkins of New York wrote in 1895 regarding the teaching of physiology. 
how can we teach growing girls the functions of the various parts of the human body and still leave them their modesty that is the practical question that has puzzled me for years in england the use of drawers was almost unknown among women half a century ago and was considered immodest and unfeminine tilt a distinguished gynecologist of that period advocated such garments made of fine calico and not to descend below the knee on hygienic grounds thus understood he added the adoption of drawers will doubtless become more general in this country as being worn without the knowledge of the general observer they will be robbed of the prejudice usually attached to an appendage deemed masculine drawers came into general use among women during the third quarter of the nineteenth century drawers are an oriental garment and seem to have reached europe through venice the great channel of communication with the east like many other refinements of decency and cleanliness they are at first chiefly cultivated by prostitutes and on that account there was a long prejudice against them even at the present day it is said that in france a young peasant girl will exclaim if asked whether she wears drawers i wear drawers madame a respectable girl drawers however quickly became acclimatized in france and dufour even regards them as essentially a french garment they were introduced at the court towards the end of the fourteenth century and in the sixteenth century were rendered almost necessary by the new fashion of vertugale or farthingale in sixteen fifteen a lady's calissons are referred to as apparently an ordinary garment it is noteworthy that in london in the middle of the same century young mrs pepys who was the daughter of french parents usually wore drawers which were seemingly of the clothes kind they were probably not worn by english women and even in france with the decay of the farthingale they seem to have dropped out of use during the seventeenth century in a technical and very complete book les arts de lingerie published in seventeen seventy one women's drawers are not even mentioned and Messier says that except actresses parisian women do not wear drawers even by ballet dancers and actresses on the stage they are not invariably worn camargo the famous dancer who first shortened the skirt in dancing early in the eighteenth century always observed great decorum never showing the leg above the knee when appealed to as to whether she wore drawers she replied that she could not possibly appear without such a precaution but they were not necessarily worn by dancers and in seventeen twenty seven a young ballerina having her skirt accidentally torn away by a piece of stage machinery the police issued an order that in future no actress or dancer should appear on the stage without drawers this regulation does not appear however to have been long strictly maintained though schultz refers to it as in force in seventeen ninety one professor irving ross of washington refers to new england prudishness and the colossal modesty of some new york policemen who in certain cases want to give written rather than oral testimony he adds i have known this sentiment carried to such an extent in a massachusetts small town that a shopkeeper was obliged to drape a small but innocent statuette displayed in his window i am told that popular feeling in south africa would not permit the exhibition of the nude in the art collections of cape town even in italy nude statues are disfigured by the addition of tin fig leaves and sporadic manifestations of horror at the presence of nude statues even when of most classic type 
are liable to occur in all parts of Europe, including France and Germany. Some years ago, 1898, it was stated that the Philadelphia Ladies' Home Journal had decided to avoid, in future, all references to ladies under linen, because the treatment of this subject in print calls for minutia of detail which is extremely and pardonably offensive to refined and sensitive women. A man, married twenty years, told me that he had never seen his wife entirely nude. Such concealment of the external reproductive organs, by married people, appears to be common. Judging from my own inquiry, very few women care to look upon male nakedness, and many women, though not wanting an aesthetic feeling, find no beauty in man's form. Some are positively repelled by the sight of nakedness, even that of a husband or lover. On the contrary, most men delight in gazing upon the uncovered figure of women. It seems that only highly cultivated and imaginative women enjoy the spectacle of a finely shaped nude man, especially after attending art classes and drawing from the nude, as I am told by a lady artist. Or else the majority of women dissemble their curiosity or admiration. A woman of seventy, mother of several children, said to a young wife with whom I am acquainted, I have never seen a naked man in my life. This old lady's sister confessed that she had never looked at her own nakedness in the whole course of her life. She said that it frightened her. She was the mother of three sons. A maiden woman of the same family told her niece that women were disgusting because they have monthly discharges. The niece suggested that women have no choice in the matter, to which the aunt replied, I know that, but it doesn't make them less disgusting. I have heard of a girl who died from hemorrhage of the womb, refusing through shame to make the ailment known to her family. The misery suffered by some women at the anticipation of a medical examination appears to be very acute. Husbands have told me of brides who sob and tremble with fright on the wedding night, the hysteria being sometimes alarming. E, aged 25, refused her husband for six weeks after marriage, exhibiting the greatest fear of his approach. Ignorance of the nature of the sexual connection is often the cause of exaggerated alarm. In Jersey, I used to hear of a bride who ran to the window and screamed murder on the wedding night. At the present day, it is not regarded as incompatible with modesty to exhibit the lower part of the thigh when in swimming costume, but it is immodest to exhibit the upper part of the thigh. In swimming competitions, a minimum of clothing must be combined with the demands of modesty. In England, the regulations of the swimming clubs affiliated to the Amateur Swimming Association require that the male swimmer's costume shall extend no less than eight inches from the bifurcation downward, and that the female swimmer's costume shall extend to within not more than three inches from the knee. A prolonged discussion, we are told, arose as to whether the costume should come to one, two, or three inches from the knee, and the proposal of the youngest lady swimmer present, that the costume ought to be very scanty, met with little approval. The modesty of women is thus seen to be greater than that of men by, roughly speaking, about two inches. The same difference may be seen in the sleeves. The male sleeve must extend for two inches, the female sleeve four inches, down the arm. At blank, bathing in the state of nature was de rigueur for the elite of the bathers, while our Sunday visitors from the slums frequently made a great point of wearing bathing costumes. 
it was frequently noticed that those who were most anxious to avoid exposing their persons were distinguished by the foulness of their language my impression was that their foul-mindedness deprived them of the consciousness of safety from coarse jests if i were bathing alone among blackguards i should probably feel uncomfortable myself if without a costume a lady in a little city of the south of france told paula lombroso that young middle-class girls there were not allowed to go out except to mass and cannot even show themselves at the window except under their mother's eye yet they do not think it necessary to have a cabin when sea-bathing and even dispense with a bathing costume without consciousness of immodesty a woman mentioned to me that a man came to her and told her in confidence his distress of mind he feared he had corrupted his wife because she got into a bath in his presence with her baby and enjoyed his looking at her splashing about he was deeply distressed thinking he must have done her harm and destroyed her modesty the woman to whom this was said felt naturally indignant but also gave her the feeling as if every man may secretly despise a woman for the very things he teaches her and only meets her confiding delight with regret or dislike women will occasionally be found to hide diseases and symptoms from a bashfulness and modesty so great and perverse as to be hardly credible writes dr w Wynne westcott an experienced coroner i have known several cases of female deaths reported as sudden and of cause unknown when the medical man called in during the latter hours of life has been quite unaware that his lady patient was dying of gangrene of a strangulated femoral hernia or was bleeding to death from the bowel or from ruptured varices of the vulva the foregoing selection of facts might of course be indefinitely enlarged since i have not generally quoted from any previous collections of facts bearing on the question of modesty such collections may be found in ploss and max bartwell's das weeb a work that is constantly appearing in new and enlarged editions herbert spencer descriptive sociology especially under such headings as clothing moral sediments and aesthetic products w g sumner folkways chapter eleven Managaza, Mori Deligi Uomi, Chapter 2. Westermark, Marriage, Chapter 9. Letourneau, L'Evolution de la Morale, Page 126, et sequens. G. Mortimer, Chapters on Human Love, Chapter 4. And in the general anthropological works of Waste Gerlin, Peskel, Ratzel, and others. End of the Evolution of Modesty, Part 1, Section 5